listen to someone who knows what they're talking about and adopt the changes that they're suggesting or alternatively you don't and you bury your head in the sand and fortunately I decided to do the first and that was the probably the defining moment and why craft still exists Hello everyone oh. and welcome back. I was going to do the intro then. You should do it, do it man. Should I try? Yeah. Hello everyone and welcome to Breaking Bread Podcast. It actually said Breaking Bread. That's the first, I'm getting well. there. Like the smooth tones there. Well now when I talk about the TV show Breaking Bad I call it Breaking Bread. <laughs> I was on about it the best TV shows ever the other day and I said oh, I love Breaking Bread. <laughs> so it's whichever way around. But either way, I'm Carl and I do this lovely podcast. My best buddy. I'm Liam. We're just two normal people obsessed with food. We like to talk about it and share the stories of some of the amazing people in Birmingham. Yeah, man. Yeah, so if you want to help us spread the word about how brilliant Birmingham is, obviously uh, give us a little like and review on iTunes. Yeah, we don't get anything for it, but it's nice to have it and it's nice to get the podcast out there and people listening. Yeah, or Spotify. If you do that, it does get it in front of more ears. Nearly said ice. Gets it in front of more ears. (laughs) So it really helps us out. If you could consider doing that, that'd be amazing and we'll love you forever. Today's episode was with, I suppose we can call them friends now, like friends of the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> We've had uh, Andrew Sheridan on before from obviously Eight and Craft. And today we wanted to do something a little different. We've had chef owners on and uh, a few business owners, but we've never had like just a pure restaurant owner. He's not a chef, that's his own admission. <laughs> he's not front of house he's a businessman he's an owner and it, he's got a great passion for it I think it really shines through doesn't it it's a really good story how he sort of came to be where he is today and yeah. it's nice listening to a different point of view from someone that's just about the fire I mean he does you'll see him in the restaurant and he does help out mm-hmm. like, I've been in there and I've seen him behind the bar serving and stuff like he gets his hands dirty he gets involved and um, yeah it's um, it was really nice to have a completely different story to listen to so we're talking about sam morgan obviously owner from, well co-owner who is wife will kill him from craft yeah. <laughs> uh, really nice dude craft kind of popped up out of nowhere didn't it all of a sudden like was it 2019 he said 2019 it just popped up at the bottom of symphony hall yeah there was just this massive restaurant out of nowhere yeah that looked great wow it looked great. Like they've done a lot of work to it since. Oh, it looks amazing now. But at the time, I happened to agree with Andrew Sheridan's assessment. It looked like a massive DFS, <laughs> and it, even Sam would be the first. I to think that was that. just the sheer size of it, though, because it was it's a massive size. But everything was grey, like everything. Yeah, <laughs> it was cool. But to now, it's it's completely different. Like if you walked somebody in there now, compared to when they, they first opened. You wouldn't think you're in the same venue. No, well, you've got Eighth there. That's an old restaurant. And that's got two bars attached to it, and you've got your private dining room. And then they've sort of partitioned off all the little seating areas with curtains yeah. and partitions, so They've you got don't some really exciting things coming up, man. As well, like some of the plans that I have to even go even further. Like it's 
Oh, yeah, you wait till you hear them, mate. Yeah, it's a great story. Have a good listen and hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam Morgan. Many other businesses. Mm. Welcome on Breaking Bread. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good. Thanks. It's a, a reasonably sunny Monday evening. Don't jinx it, man. I am oh, yeah. sick of the rain. <laughs> <laughs> I think you announced barbecues or something. You didn't you have these guest barbecues, and since then it's rained. <laughs> well, I mean, luckily for me, it, it hasn't rained on either of those Sundays. So, no. obviously, no. Actors was the first one, and that was nice and warm, actually. Garris was kind of mediocre and overcast. Um, but uh, Coming yeah. from Wales, like he'd be well used <laughs> it to It was a beautiful day for him. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Plenty of lamb on the menu, as they say. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know, Sam owns Crafts. It's in uh, the centre of Birmingham in Symphony Hall. Uh, awesome place. Like we, we, We've been, well, Carl's been twice now. I've been once. Yeah, it's beautiful inside. Loved it. The food's um, fantastic. Yeah. Crafts about two years old now. Yeah, so founded Craft in 2019 um, with my wife. Obviously, since since then, it's been adapted a few times. You know, in its uh, in its kind of setup, we've now obviously got two restaurants in one building, um, which is which is Craft and Eight, um, and that's soon to change as well. So, Craft is going to be split down into two restaurants again. So we'll end up with three in the same building because we've got the terrace, which is going to be live cooking over fire. Pretty cool. And then the dining room, which is going to be what everyone kind of knows and, and already loves about craft, that's going to stay as it is. But I think we've started to realise that the terrace probably needed something a little bit different. Um, and uh, that gives us a bit of a new dimension to the city once again. Is that going to be outside, outdoors then? Outdoors fire cooking, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So we're building a kitchen um, outside, just in front of the pods where everyone dines. So the pods will be circulating around the kitchen. They'll see the chefs cooking live. Um, direct over fire, no electric, no gas, pure wood and coal, um, cooking, you know, big slabs of meat and, and things like that. So, oh, yeah, again, something just perfect. <laughs> exactly. And is that like a separate menu to craft or is it? Yeah, absolutely. So anyone going on, on, on the website now would see that there's a terrace menu, which goes live on the 30th of June, which is going to be the, the live cooking over fire. And then we've got the dining room menu, which is the, the, you know, the food that you would have tried previously and, you know um, that's uh, that's going to be elevated and pushed a bit harder. Yeah. And then what we you know what we realise is is that crafts a bit of a, a bit of a beast. It does about three hundred covers on a on a Saturday. Mm. Um, you know, and maintaining you know a high grade sort of high quality fine dining type environment probably isn't very conducive to a pod um, outside on a terrace. You know, with 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 music blaring. So we we realised that the venue had the ability to be split. Um, again, so we have eight, which is the kind of jewel in the crown piece de la resistance, as they say. We then got the terrace, which is the kind of fun, vibrant, fun dining, and then you can go for an intimate a la carte meal in the in craft's dining room. So, I'd like to think that the venue's now got 
something for everyone. Isn't there going to be a space room or something as well soon? Like a dessert <laughs> taster menu. Where did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, there's going to be uh, Planet 8. Um, that won't be separate as such. That is part of 8. Yeah. It's kind of 8's third room because we've also got the V8 lounge, the main dining room, which where you've both dined um, for 8. And then there's going to be the third room, which is going to be Planet 8, which uh, guests can go after their meal. Um, and and have a, essentially an after party, yeah. Uh, which is going to be something again quite cool and quite funky. Yeah, this does look. This sounds great. Yeah, so it's kind of, you know, if everyone remembers when when craft was first born, it was called craft dining rooms. Mm. I suppose in its truest form, it is a load of rooms now, um, all doing something different. Um, so it's it's a bit like Toys R Us, you know, it's something for everyone. It's sort of partition, not partition, but there's a lot of curtains up, and it's mm. a lot more separate than it was before. Because it's first go it was just a big room wasn't it with lots of tables in. yeah it was big old place I yeah mean, it's first that. it's first go i got it all wrong and that's the reality it was a complete car crash waiting to happen um you know it was like a big massive staff canteen across between dfs as andy would call it and <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and five guys and it was just completely it, i just didn't have it right and that was the reality um we've now used the site and its versatility you know to our you know, to our advantage and started to split the room up using a mixture of, of glass and uh, and foil curtains, which gives, you know, an element of, of you know, intimacy. Yeah. You know, a good, good friend of mine, you know, from the city, Atar Islam, said, said to me once, you need to make a restaurant appeal to the to the women. It doesn't matter what the, what the guys <laughs> think because the guys will follow. Yeah. And uh, I think he, he had that right. And when Andy, you know, arrived and... and you know, enjoy me in, in running craft. He also said to me, make this place Instagrammable and, you know, everyone will come. And that, that was really what we've done. Well, know, that's my wife. Well. The first thing she said is just everything on this is an Instagram picture. Yeah. Which yeah. It, it's the way a lot of things are going. It's, people are there and they've got their phones next to their food. Yeah. And taking photos of everything while eating. and Yeah. And, and, and part of that, part of that theory frustrates me in yeah. the sense that, Really, it should be about the quality of service and quality of food, not, you know, a style over substance situation. But equally, if you can provide all three, yeah, if you can get them all on the cards, then why not? Yeah. That's uh, why Andy is a massive piece of that because he understands the importance of Instagram and social and marketing. But it's then, free advertising essentially. If you've done it and it's beautiful, and someone takes a photo and it looks good online, yeah. that's going to be everywhere. But you haven't had to pay for that. No, no, but, I, but, absolutely. But at the base of that, you've got to have really nice food as well. Like it can't yeah, just look fucking up. good. Like it's got to be. <laughs> well, there yeah, are restaurants. Have. There are some places that just they look good and then they're not. Yeah, but they don't last. <laughs> they don't last. No, they don't last. <laughs> they get this... every, they all get found out in the end. They all yeah. get a visit from Simon Carter and get torn apart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think I think you are right though. There is there is plenty of Instagrammable venues that seem to be style over substance and mm. and do for some strange reason, last the test of time. I think, uh, you know, the understanding of what good quality actually is, is sometimes somewhat forgotten or or not considered, you know, in the right vein. And, and you know, I think it's it's partly partly my job to try and readdress that balance. And that's what I have been trying to do for, for some time now and try and educate sometimes the general public into, you know, what is considered great and what is actually just mediocre or poor. So what was it that led you because what did you do before craft and how did you end up in a position to buy a restaurant because it was your first restaurant wasn't it yeah absolutely it was um 
uh, why did I get into the restaurant game? Um, I've been known for my stupidity, and, uh, <laughs> and and this one's probably probably top up there. Um, I suppose I've had a, a strange career. I worked for a Majesty's government for a number of years in a number of sort of law enforcement capacity roles, which was um, completely left field. I came out of that sector after a number of high profile incidents in London. I just kind of got a bit disillusioned with mm. you know what we were doing for a very small amount of money, and. Um, I went into looking after celebrities, high-profile celebrities, um, some very well-known names, and I did that for a number of years. So I was the opposite, really. Paid really well for essentially giving them advice on their security and making sure that they were looked after, and that was, you know, that was very, you know, very well received, and I, and I did very well at it. I think after a while, I realised that it was kind of no life for a family. Yeah, and um, an incident back in 2009 brought me to Redditch, so not too far from where we are now. Mm. And I attended a a good lad who was a special forces soldier who had been killed in Afghan. I met his sister, who I, you know, um, who I actually met you know, some years before, but I met her again, and we ended up married. And mm. um, that's Emma, who you know is involved with the restaurants as well with, yeah. with us, and um, we. I decided that that kind of was no life for, you know, having a family and settling down because you know one minute you're in America, then you're in, you know, the Far East, and you're all over the place in that yeah. kind of role. So I, I decided to ditch it all in, and I'd made quite a bit of money from doing it, and I was like, what, what, what do I do next? Where do I, you know, what do I do with my skill set of law enforcement and high profile security <laughs> really it's, it's a bit you know a bit work what i realized was that i had a set of skills that could be adapted and transferred and a lot of that was around my knowledge around the law so i decided to actually go into white sort of corporate world um, corporate finance buying and selling businesses and and um and then started that in 2012 I was very successfully founded a few education and training companies that did adult education. And then I was the chief exec or group chief exec of a large business called HGO. Um, quite a few thousand staff, very, you know, very prolific, you know, across Europe. I then decided to leave there and in, I'm trying to think back now, 2016, 17, founded a business called the Alacrity Group with two other people and after a couple of years I sold that business to them um, and kind of came away from it and decided that um, we wanted to do something that we were quite passionate about and my wife's from the hospitality sector so she had she had worked in the hospitality sector for a number of years um, businesses that you might know things like um, Chicago Rock Cafe yeah. you know Luminar Leisure the nightclubs things like that yeah yeah and um, one thing we were, were prolific eater-outers. <laughs> and you know what? As many people have always said to me, just because you eat out a lot doesn't mean you should go and buy a bloody restaurant. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it's great. Well, I, de I definitely right back at the beginning, you know, should have bloody listened to them. Thankfully now things have, have definitely turned around. Um, but that's something we wanted to do. And we, we went at it and we went at it full steam ahead. And... I had someone that I was due to work with, so was going to be partners with myself and, and Emma, and he was a, a reasonably high-profile chef, 
he was going to come come to Birmingham, open the restaurant with me. And unfortunately, he didn't move from Ireland across. And um, we had to kind of sort it out ourselves, really. All right. And that was the beginning of, I'd say, where I started to get it wrong. Because the reason that the business is, is successful now is because, you know, myself, Emma and Andy are extremely close and work extremely closely. Um, he brings a different dimension to what I have to offer and whatever Emma has to offer. But collectively, it's the right recipe, excuse the pun. Um, but when I first started, didn't have any of that. No. And we were kind of just fumbling by with what we thought was right um, until someone told me it wasn't. <laughs> and I had to listen to them. Who was that? It was Aktar Islam. So, you know, there's, uh, everyone knows he's a good mate of mine. Um, you know, we, 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 we first met many, many, many years ago when Michael Bublé came to, to Birmingham. And I had the pleasure of looking after Michael Bublé's tour and he, we went to Lausanne for, for dinner. And, it, and that's kind of where it all started, you know. And obviously he, he moved on from Lausanne, quite rightly, and, and opened Dauphine, which, mm. you know, my own personal opinion is, is one of the greatest, you know, restaurant assets that we have to Birmingham. Oh, not, not just Birmingham, eh? It's one of the best yeah. in, in the country. It's yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, And um, he, came, he came for lunch and... and um, then sat me down and told me everything that was wrong. <laughs> that was a fun conversation. <laughs> and I think at the time, I think I got a bit shirty with him, like, uh, you know, as you kind of do. But then I, I kind of walked away from there and realised that, you know, he was right. Is that yeah. something quite unusual in, like, all the jobs and businesses you've run before? Is Are you used to people standing back up to you and saying, like, you know, being that honest? Yeah. Uh, no, I am. I am to a degree. How do you receive it well, or are you a bit? You, you never do. You, look, I mean, I'm awful at it. Just, you, just say. <laughs> you know, I, I think at first, I took a little. I took it a little bit personal. You do when you, when you put so much effort into something, and you think that you've got it right, and then someone tells me that you got it categorically wrong. And I think the reason that the reason that I was a bit like oh, about it was, I think deep down I probably knew, I knew he was mm. right. And that's even, that's kind of worse. And you think, and, and when you're a, a, a kind of a born perfectionist, like I, I'm my own world's biggest critic and I always want to get things right. When I don't, I beat myself up about it. I kind of felt like I had made those fuck-ups, basically. Mm. So in the end, you either listen to someone who knows what they're talking about and adopt the changes that they're suggesting or alternatively, you don't, and you bury your head in the sand. And then, fortunately, I decided to do the first. And that was the, probably the defining moment and why craft still exists. Because if I didn't, the chances are it wouldn't be here now. And that was the first, the first kind of you know thing that I did that in the restaurant trade where I thought yeah, I've got that right, and that was me listening, putting my ears back and listening to someone who quite frankly knew more than I did. And then the second, I suppose, defining moment about why craft is where it is now is, is, is bringing Andy in. Um, you know, he's the one, you know, alongside myself and Emma that's driven the business forward. He's brought new people in, a new team in, and it's gone from strength to strength. And, you know, even with COVID and you know, all those things that have been thrown at us, you know, he's, uh, 
he's weathered the storm with me. He's the hardest worker I've ever come across in life. And, mm. you know, and uh, the guy's got so much passion, you know. It's such that talent as well. Oh, God, yeah. His ideas and his food are so... Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really amazing. It's passion and infusion. It's infectious, isn't it? Like yeah. we, we met him, we were like, oh, we finished the podcast with him. I wanted yeah. to be a chef. It's, um, I think the, the easiest way of saying it is that I fell out of love with the hospitality sector as quickly as I fell into it. Um, and um, it was the things that he did that made me fall back in love with it and why I continue now to work every hour God sends just like he does and just like Emma does to make, to make the business a, a success. How close to you were you just to calling it a day and saying, you know, we tried this restaurant thing, it just hasn't worked? Oh, you know what? I don't give up at anything. I really don't. And so you were willing to go down with the ship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Titanic, you know, is, is definitely going to be the uh, be the word with that one. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have done because I don't, I don't tend to give up. Mm. It doesn't mean that along that journey... I'll like being in that position because, you know, I wasn't. I was I was absolutely 100% hating it. Mm. I was hating every single day until he joined. And then it was very, very quickly that that started to change and I could start to realise the potential. And then for me, if I can realise the potential, I can invest in it more. It's not just financially, but time-wise and everything else. Um, and, and that's really... You know why it is where it is. You know it's a uh, it's it's interesting. You when you run a an independent restaurant, it's very different to chains. Yeah, not we don't have a manual that tells us how to deal with people. Yeah, yeah. that's not that's not how we operate. You know, I don't want to operate that way. I just want people to come and have a good time. And there's no standard operating procedure about how that should look, because every guest is different. And that's what's interesting about the hospitality sector. You know, Kraft welcomes about a thousand people a week and the reality is their idea of what's great what's bad and what's indifferent is all different mm. yeah you might like subjective. it you might not yeah. oh god yeah but never have i ever run a business where a thousand people can come through that business every week and every single one of them is entitled to their opinion on whether or not your business is good or shit yeah and not only are they entitled to their opinion but they voice it too yeah. If it's not on Facebook, it's on Instagram. If it's not on Instagram, it's on Twitter. If it's not on Twitter, it's on Twat Advisor. If it's not on that, then it's on Google. And it's constant. Mm. And you can't get away from it. Do you check TripAdvisor often or? Twat Advisor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. Look, it's a necessary evil. And that's the reality. See, I don't know if I would if I was a restaurant man. I'm not sure. It's a double-edged sword. It's like... Feedback is a gift, but I don't know if I fucking want it. <laughs> you yeah, know, I mean? it's you can go from euphoria to, you know, a big flat downer, yeah. you know, in a matter of seconds. What I always remind myself is, and if you read our uh, Twat Advisor, you'll see this. Um, I remind myself that I have the last word because mm. I have the right to reply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I always say to guests or people, if you're going to leave feedback, do it in the right way, because I'm telling you now, if you don't the response will be far worse than you can ever imagine because there's a movement in the sector now, um, I believe, particularly amongst independent restaurants, where no longer is it acceptable to believe that the customer is always right because, quite frankly, they're not always right. 
you know, I had a customer who spent 15 minutes shouting at me down the phone last Monday because I should have told her that the traffic was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, with the greatest respect, I didn't know where she was travelling from. <laughs> yeah. Through other bloody Well, you know, she lives in the sea centre. You know, I have no fucking idea. She could have been getting the bus, the train. Do you know what I mean? She could have been flying by helicopter. You know, I don't bloody know. But for some strange reason, there seems to be this kind of existence that people think that we... Um, we should be, yeah, you know, involved experience, in experience even from leaving their house is somehow your exactly. problem. And depending on what's happened between leaving your house and arriving at our restaurant would, de- would depend upon what mindset you're in before you walk through the door and whether or not you think it's a great experience or a poor one. Like being stuck in traffic and pissed mm-hmm. off because Birmingham's a nightmare to drive in at the moment suddenly becomes a restaurant's issue. Mm. Well, Unfortunately, there's not a great deal I can do about that. I wish there was. The same as when Boris said that everyone could open outdoors. Yeah. And people book outdoor tables. And then unfortunately, the weather's not great. Well, suddenly, that also becomes Sam's issue too. Yeah. Mm. The only thing I'd say about TripAdvisor is like, I I do read it often. I like reading it. I'm going to say this like that. But it's um so like when you see like the one on the top of my head is paul foster at salt who's obviously famous for a trip advisor <laughs> but like when he had that review where he said like um he tried to stab his granny with a, a steak knife or something and showed her his willy or something like that but you read that and like everyone who reads that looks at that and goes no he didn't that's ridiculous like so it's not like anyone would say oh, i'm not going to that restaurant he's gonna stab me with a steak knife and show me his willy like the absurd looks absurd, even to the customer. Like, yep. so no one's going to base whether they're going to go on, on that one review. And then I think I've read like a stat, like even after reading negative reviews, like 90% of people will still go. Yeah. So it's like, it, I don't think it's as important as we think. I know it's it's hard to read, but yeah. I wouldn't like I mean, let we, it ruin got, my life. We've got a one-star trip advisor because um, a customer came and he wanted more low-calorie options. <laughs> that definitely wasn't us <laughs> and I, you know and, and you know my response hit you know front page news Birmingham Mail um, because you know I, I slammed him for it and said well maybe you should have looked at the bloody menu before you arrived yeah it's online you know, I, I hate to say it but when you book a restaurant you know looking at the menu is kind of the defining thing isn't it really but for some strange reason in Birmingham, a lot of people book restaurants without looking at menus. I'm terrible. I'll read the menu. I know the menu. I don't I walk into a restaurant. Yeah. Like, I don't need the menu. I know what I'm having. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. But, you know, I will accept criticism when it's there. Yeah, on, um, the, on the flip side of that, if you yeah. if you do get a lot of reviews and like, you know, it's like there's something that pops up nearly in yeah. every review then you think, oh, actually, you know, maybe that is something we need to look at. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, if eight out of 10 people said the restaurant's really cold, for example, yeah. you'd think, yeah, oh, yeah. the restaurant's probably cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you'd have kind of hope they'd tell the staff there and that'd get passed on to yeah, you. Yeah, but they don't. They, they don't necessarily have to put it online, do they? No, it's one of them. No, they don't. They don't. But um, some people feel it's their God-given right to go on mm. you know, to advisor. And, and, and equally, it's my God-given right to reply. So... The good yeah. thing and the bad thing about the internet is it gives everyone a voice. Well, that's the thing with TripAdvisor. I do go on it a lot. I tend to be when I go to a city that I'm unfamiliar with. Yeah. But if someone has got some negative reviews, if the owner's always come back and explained or there's a response yeah. to a negative review, 
Yeah. For me, that turns into a positive review because yeah. the owner no, obviously cares. He's not just ignoring all these. No, no, no. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting times now. You know, it's, um, you know, I, I did wonder after the COVID situation, would the hospitality sector have, you know, would it adapt and would it change? Would the general public perceive it in a different way? But, you know, um, unfortunately, I don't think they have. Not yet, anyway. Um, We'd yeah. like to think everyone's, like, jumped on board the be kind message, but nobody, like... Do you know what I see? I see a 50-50 split yeah. now. Um, you know, we... Uh, it, it's, you know, it's frustrating because I was one of the first, I suppose, in the sector to really push hard on cancellation charges for no-shows, you know, taking deposits and things like that because... The, the way I see it is is that the chair in the restaurant is no different to the chair at the theatre or the chair at the concert. Mm. Or the airplanes. Or the trains or whatever yeah, it might yeah, yeah. be. Um, and I think that that has definitely changed the situation for our restaurant for the better. Our no-show rate is now sub 1%, whereas before it was 26.8%. Wow. Jesus. That was horrendous. Across the year, that would have cost our business half a million pounds in a lost revenue. Jesus. You know, the, the sector is fraught with no-show issues. Um, it reportedly cost the sector three billion a year. And I don't think the general public, I th- it's wrong for me to say that. I don't think that there's a, I think there's a proportion of the general public that really don't comprehend what the consequences of their actions are when they book a table and simply do not turn up. No. You know, the cost of that to that restaurant is significant. Yeah. To not even let them know. I mean, we're talking a phone call here. Yeah. It's going to yeah. take you 30 seconds to look it up on your phone, 10 yeah. seconds to make the call and say, sorry, yeah. so-and-so, this time I can't make it. I'm really yeah. sorry. Yeah. Come on. It's not even just the money-wise. It's like the whole atmosphere of a restaurant. So you imagine like somewhere like eight. So if, couple or four people don't show that's half the restaurants empty all of a sudden yeah that's that's a real issue you know, in eight i mean that's, that's the that's, atmosphere gone like imagine the wilderness like you know yeah exactly i mean you know the high-end restaurants um that's why a lot of them go down the prepayment route yeah. you know or at least a significant deposit you know in order to get um and, and address those issues but you know that's just you know that's just one of the battles that we have at the moment and you know we, we mentioned the, the wilderness you know i know alex extremely well we've worked together you know, on the Birmingham Hospitality Group stuff. And, um, you know, I saw I saw him putting out a Twitter to say people had no-showed. I just think, oh, what's the... You know, yeah, what's he's the already point? had it, hasn't he, this week? Yeah. All red. Yeah. What the worst bit is, is whenever he has, like, a, a late cancellation, he'll put it on Twitter, and it's filled within, like, an hour. Of course it is, because so it's so somebody phoned, in anyway. yeah. <laughs> If somebody phoned and cancelled, like, he'd get them replaced. Like, that's yeah. a heartbreaking thing. Yeah. It's awful. It's a, a positive podcast, but we've just had COVID and we it's hard not to talk about it. I mean, see, things, you got off to a rocky start, yeah. it's fair to say. And then <laughs> the ship steadied when Andy came along yeah. and you started bouncing off ideas. The restaurant started changing eight and then all of a sudden COVID hit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Andy joined in November 2019 and we had the kind of Christmas storm that Andy had to deal with. You know, we had, you know, a million turkey dinners to put out and, you know, turkey dinners are not really Andy's thing. Um, they're not really my thing either. But hey, we had to, we had to do it because, you know, that, that was what was booked. 
we then did the first initial change to the restaurant reopened in january and then subsequently bang in march boris says don't go to restaurants doesn't close them just says doesn't don't go. yeah just says don't go <laughs> yeah avoid them now, I think I, and gives you no lifeline from it whatsoever. i was the first restaurateur i believe and apologies to anyone if uh, if there was someone before me that said i'm closing i closed on that monday i said we're not opening and we're closing and i knew that, that i knew that i had to do that mm. because if no one like literally all the bookings just came boom 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 cancellation 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 through the system we went at that point from having a few hundred booked to having none and the longer i keep the business open the more money it's going to cost mm. so i decided to close on the monday other people stayed open in the city in the hope that some people would still turn up mm-hmm. and i never forget it myself and andy went to Polperia. And we sat in Polperia on a Wednesday night and we're the only ones sat in that restaurant, that beautiful restaurant with myself, Andy, and actor, eating steak. And we were like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, no one really knew at this point what was coming. Even me that had worked for the government for, you know, the amount of years that I had, wasn't sure what was coming. And obviously... He then followed on the Thursday with compulsory closure. Mm. And then the Chancellor comes out with, you know, don't worry, everyone's protected. I called, I used to call it good news, Rishi Friday, every Friday. <laughs> so Boris would give you shit news. And then Rishi would come out and try and soften the blow a little bit with some, you know, kind of waffle about, you know, furlough or whatever, whatever he'd come out with. So furlough came in play, which allowed us to protect the team because you know, the cash reserves were certainly going to run out if we were, you know, if we were left, you know, carrying a payroll with absolutely no income. Which, in fairness, is a, it's a bit of a relief because you worry about your team and, and keeping hold on them. So that's a good they're the greatest. They're the greatest asset in a restaurant, aren't they? Of course yeah, they are. You can forget about the tables and chairs and the lovely wall curtains and the glass and those crazy spaceship pod things that we've got outside. <laughs> you know, all that's pretty pointless mm. in the end if you don't have good people. Because that's really all it boils down to in the end, good people. Um, so yeah, you know, we were hell bent on trying to protect as many people as we possibly could. And you know, did I have the answers in that first week? No, no, I didn't. Did the chancellor give us some of the answer to a degree? Yeah, um, but that was only part of the problem. So, you know, we were then subsequently closed, and we were closed from March all the way through to July. And what myself and Andy said was, there's absolutely no bloody way that we're going to sit at home, scratching our backside, trying to work out what to do next. Yeah. Um, we have to um, use this time of closure to fast forward our plans for the redevelopment of the site. So many people said to me, oh, you're an absolute fool. Why would you be investing in something you don't even know when it's going to be re, you know, reopened. And I used this kind of stupid comment to try and get people off my back with it. And that was, you know, our fortune favours the brave. You know, it was one of those <laughs> dumbass comments, really. But, you know, at the time, I kind of looked at Andy. And, and, and the truth of it is, I had faith in him and I had faith in the team if we could just get back open and we could fast forward the changes that we had in plan. 
Because what I didn't want to do was sit at home while being forced to be closed, doing nothing, and then reopen, and then have to close because I want to put the changes in. It's just kind of pointless. So we fast-forwarded all of them. You know, we moved the bar up the top, and we changed everything around during that period. Massive amount of work. We reopened in July. And it started well. It was good. And we were left with this whopping great bar down the bottom. And I was going to Andy, like, what are we going to do with this bar? <laughs> you know, and we were like, oh, should we do an open kitchen with it? We came up with all sorts of nonsense ideas about what to do with this whopping great bar. And then both of us stood looking at the glass panel doors that were there originally. And I was like, there's eight glass panel doors. He's like, I became a chef on the eighth day of the eighth month. <laughs> Could we turn this into a restaurant? And that's really where that all started. And we were like, yeah, we can. And that was the that was the kind of birth of, of eight. And that was, um, you know, July 2020. And in true typical, you know, Sam and Andy style, we decided that we wanted to try and execute that in the shortest possible time and get it open. And that's what we did. We run it at 200 miles an hour and, and got it open for um, for October. So we opened it on October the 8th, which was Andy's anniversary of becoming a chef. <laughs> and then Boris told us three weeks later, we closed again. And this time, it was the whole kind of closed for November, but you might be able to reopen in uh, December. Yeah. So we're like, a month. All right. We'll get by. It's just a month. So we got to the end of the month. And we're thinking Christmas. Christmas is going to be big. The bookings in the system. We could not move the bookings. And then it was bang. No, actually, you're in tier three. And tier three's got no hospitality open. So you're closed still. And then, of course, we were closed all the way through till May. It's ridiculous, I mean. Yep. But once again, during that period, we used the time wisely to fast forward the rest of the remaining plans to fit it into the same period again. And then we reopened in May. Um, I never forget it when we switched the booking system on after Boris had given the roadmap out. We switched that booking system on and I took 1,300 covers in 26 minutes. Jesus. Like the system was going absolutely ape and people were just booking like wildfire and ever since then getting a chair in our place is now a challenge mm. and i think to myself what did we do over that lockdown period that changed the destiny of this restaurant for the better during a time of national crisis i'm not too sure but in the weirdest kind of way covid caused us problems significant problems but equally helped us um i can't put my finger on what it is or why or how but it in some ways gave us the time to readdress and rebalance what we were doing yeah um but for the sector it's been you know it's been rocky well you've been at the forefront of pushing the sector and I mean, I've seen you on TV, I've seen you, I've heard you on the radio, I've messaged you after, I've just seen you on yeah. the radio, say well done and stuff, and you've really been pushing hard 
and pushing the government and especially Andy Street and people like that on mm-hmm. why this is happening. Because for a lot of restaurateurs, the rate of how you could catch COVID in hospitality was minimal. It was, I don't know, it was tiny, tiny amount yeah. compared to other stuff that was still open. Yeah. And they even opened shops first before restaurants and shops mm-hmm. like you stood next to people. Some most people aren't even wearing, well, not most, but some people don't even wear masks in them. Yeah. Yeah, I said, I think it was the first lockdown, one of the f- safest places I feel is in a restaurant mm-hmm. because you've got your own table, the waiting staff have got masks on, you socially distance. Like it's one of the safest places outside your own house you could be would be in a restaurant. Well, sometimes, you know, it, it's arguably safer to be in a restaurant with people from outside your household than it is to be in your house with them. Yeah. Because of the, the, the standards that we adopted during, you know, during, you know, from the guidance, we also have high levels of cleanliness, well, the vast majority of restaurants do. Um, but equally, some don't, but the vast majority do. Um, so, you know, it began, I think, you know, the hospitality sector started to question why it was being, you know, hate to say it, kind of picked on. Yeah. Because it felt like that. It, I think it was. I, mean, yeah. I think it was definitely picked you know, on. It, it, it felt like that, and it felt significantly unreasonable, the measures that were being put in place. And the local restrictions... I think were the worst because what that started to do to the hospitality sector was pit one restaurant against another. Um, and that drove um, a significant kind of resentment, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when Birmingham in December was in lockdown, but Worcestershire wasn't. So around here, you know, where, where I live, it wasn't. So, you know, I could go into Barnt Green High Street and see a couple of pubs open, Barn Green Inn and the Vic, people in there having a good time. My restaurant in Birmingham, just down the road, is closed. It was no. ludicrous. I mean, the, the um, two pubs at the Lickies, they were uh, obviously made famous at that time. and On the border. Yeah, <laughs> opposite side of the ro- yeah. road, and one was open, one was closed. Yeah. Crazy. Like. Yeah. So we had all of that, and, and that essentially was driving a wedge, you know, straight down the middle of the sector, between whether or not you just happen to fold, you know, fold into the right postcode lottery, um, and and that I, you know, that really really got my go, um, you know, and, and it, you know it was obviously well well versed, you know, I, I threatened legal action on the, on on the national government. I it was like, it you I and you had two hundred and fifty odd yeah people backing you as well yeah yeah absolutely and you know it we 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 did everything in order to raise, um, you know, the plight of the sector and, and, and try and, you know, try and address it. The, the, the nature of the beast was that you kind of felt like it was definitely David and Goliath. You know, that was for certain. I was going to say the ironic thing is like some of the hospitality voices that would be bigger and louder, they were silent, weren't they? Like M&B, Weatherspoons, yeah. big companies like that, they were, they were to be seen like. Yeah, absolutely. But this is the difference between um, independent venues and, know some of the big corporate giants you know when you actually have a look at the level of support that some of the corporate giants got um you you actually uh you actually question whether or not it was in their interest to be open or closed um and that was the difference you know when you're in birmingham city center and you know you're a independent restaurant and your rent bill you know is 10 grand a month and your rates bill albeit had been wiped for the vast majority of that period you know is another you know, six or seven grand 
you know, the electric with the standing charges, the gas and everything else. And everyone goes, oh, but you're a restaurant, you're closed, you're not using the electric. Yeah, you're not. But the standing charges are 1,500 quid a month just for, you know, not even having the light switch on. Yeah. Oh, but the government charges you national insurance. So in one van, they said, oh, there's furlough. But they expected the employer that was closed, the restaurant, to pay the national insurance on the employees and the pension. You know, what a lot of people don't realise is that between the period of closure um, all the way up until this period now, in national insurance and in pension contributions, our business had to pay 137 grand. While taking nothing, yeah. Where, Where did that money come from? You know, where did where did all these restaurant owners, you know, independent restaurant owners, they had to dive into their life savings to keep their bloody restaurants and their business afloat? Yeah. I'm amazed how I mean there has been some kind of there's been places that have closed in Bone, which is yeah. really sad. But I'm amazed there isn't more. Like the resilience of the people, especially in Birmingham, seems to have they've really dug deep and found ways just yeah. to make ends meet. I think the, the 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 question the question will be is have we seen the end of it? Yeah. You know, we, we tragically lost, you know, Oprah only last week. Mm, that um, was a big loss, yeah. Which, you know, was considered probably one of the largest independent venues in the city. Been around for, for years. You know, that should that business should never be in a position where it's gone from, you know, from, from this great city. It just shouldn't happen. You know, we were lucky, I suppose, that I was in a financial position to be able to protect the business. Because... We didn't get any other real help apart from a piddly grant here or there. Um, you know, so, you know, in reality, that was luck, really. That luck was on our side. Um, you know, there's other businesses that, un- that unfortunately have not been so lucky. And there's other businesses that are open that are straddled with debt. So their owners can't even pay themselves a wage anymore. No. And... Um, there'll be a lot of businesses that don't necessarily fall over because they don't have the income, but there'll be a point where the owners start to question why they're doing it. Yeah. They're just constantly paying off interest on debt and they're just making, but there's no future in it basically. No, no, there's not, you know, and, and making all those businesses take out loans, which have got interest charged on them by big corporate banks. Yeah. It's mental. I, I hate to say it, but, you know, you have a look at the big six are reportedly going to be making about 32 billion in interest off of all the COVID-19 support, lo- you know, loans that have been issued. 30, 30 odd billion? What? what? Where, where does that come from? No. What's all that about? On the back of small businesses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. During this pandemic, the rich people, the really rich people, have just got a lot richer. Which yep. it... it, it, it the mind boggles. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. You know, we have some real strange things going on. You know, there was 3 million people not supported with any support in relation to furlough or anything like that. But if you're on furlough, you can go and work for another employer and get furlough money and get paid again. Yeah. Why did you do that? Mm. Why did the government do that? I don't, I, I could never quite comprehend that. We had people in hospitality who were on furlough getting paid 80% of their wages, then going and working for Amazon and earning again. But the guy down the road, because he's self-employed, didn't get a penny. How does that work? Yeah. You know, so there was things like that that I just, I couldn't get my head around. Have you managed, oh, sorry, carry on. 
and, you know, and unfortunately for, for the vast majority of people in our great city, I think they realise that I'm not one of those that kind of minces my words. I kind of just say it as I see it. And that was a travesty and a complete piss take, personally. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're back open now and, and we're kind of fighting just like every other venue is in order to, you know, survive. And the one thing I think that came out of COVID was those venues united in the, you know, Birmingham Hospitality Group, things like that. It brought together operators that had never even spoken before. Mm. Never even spoken before. You know, I'm taking my team, you know, to a, to a restaurant, you know, in the city and they're bringing their team. So now all of a sudden there seems to be a bit more unitedness. We've all got each other's back. Whereas before everyone was out for themselves a little bit yeah there was nothing to bring you all together essentially but no. now you've all got a common no absolutely we have yeah we've all got a common ground because Bir- people forget that birmingham's a big city and it's the independent scene's not that big not really so you've all got to look after each other a little bit yeah especially at the uh sort of mid to higher end mm. you know a lot of the independents um you know you see loads of it on the street food market mm. you know and, and all that kind of stuff which is a completely different scene and quite cool and quite vibrant um, but amongst sort of the the middle to high end venues, you know, you could literally name them all on two hands. Mm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Did you manage to keep hold of most of your team? Or yeah, absolutely. There's a few that 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 kind of moved on, but you know, there was no one left behind in respect of you know of uh, being protected, you know, under the furlough agreement or anything along those lines. Um, when we reopened, a couple of people. Um, typically people that weren't from the UK yeah I was about to say a lot of people are obviously struggling because of Brexit like a lot of people are talking about how yep. Brexit's effects affected the hospitality sector yep. I mean I'd say London's probably twice as bad as Birmingham would be for it but yep. you, you just have to go on Instagram the amount of places looking for staff like looking for team members is crazy like 100% um, finding staff now is the biggest challenge the hospitality sector is not necessarily seen as a fashionable choice. Mm. There is a few people that want to become, you know, the next Jason Apperton or the next Gordon Ramsay, you know. Um, but, you know, chefs that make it, what we're talking, the top 1%, really? Yeah, 100%. You know, all the top-end chefs in our city, you can name them now, couldn't you? And that's the thing. But what you forget is the size of the brigades that are standing behind them. Mm. And they're the ones that don't make it. Uh, you know, and don't make it to be on television and, you know, probably get to the pinnacle of their career of earning 30 grand a year, but working bloody hard for it. Mm. So, and the problem is there's not enough money in the sector to give them any more. However much we'd love to, it's even worse now. How do we give a pay rise to someone after being pretty much closed for a year and crippled? It's harder and harder. So maintaining good talent and, you know, and good people you know, it is, is, is a be all and end all at the moment. However, it's also the biggest challenge. So there's still a storm to come, really. Oh, the storm, we're in it. Mm. We're in it. Um, and all the good people, unfortunately, are moving on. Um, and that, you know, is naturally an issue. Yeah, tough times. So. That's before you get the problems, because it hasn't really hit yet, the, the major problems. I know Kraft doesn't worry about it too much, because you source a lot of stuff and a lot of crafts vibe is locality and getting stuff from this country but, but a lot every, of restaurants import yeah. nearly everything yeah it's everything um, and that's gonna have a massive knock yeah. effect so. you know our whole our, our whole wine list is english and welsh wine so we don't have 
you know the importation challenges or anything along those lines um but you know you think the whole of the hospitality sector is made up of 99 probably 99.9 percent importation um you know i, I dread to think how that's going to be cutting out at the moment <laughs> yeah but it's all gonna um, it's gonna have to go all down to seasonality and local produce i think it is it is and i, I welcome that to a degree but uh, i don't know how far that's going to go across the whole sector yeah it's not like everyone can just do the same you can't all have asparagus on your menu this time no, no, rhubarb for pudding. It's not yeah work, and is it? you've got to have the talent in your business again to be able to execute that that's the other issue because it's all well and good buying the best produce but you know what to do with it because the team you know, the team that I had in prior to uh, to Andy arriving wouldn't have known what to do with that. No chance. How much input do you have on the menu and, like, Me? uh, wine list and I stuff? eat it. <laughs> you get to try it. <laughs> I eat it. That's the greatest part. You just leave Andy to it, like, trust him and... Yeah, yeah, absolutely I do. I mean, the greatest thing about Andy is he involves so many people. He bounces mm. off other people. Mm. So, um, so he's not one of those that will lock himself away in a cupboard and then come out with this you know this this sort of brainchild there is lots of people that are involved in it i can imagine him in like an excitable child like coming up to you like all right why don't we try this and then yeah, you have yeah, to go yeah i'll think about it andy yeah. i'll think about <laughs> it never, mate. never 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 is there a day where i don't get sam like from the kitchen <laughs> i kind of wander in there thinking like, but then again i'm kind of feeling that you might be similar so the two of you might be like excited like school yeah. kids like yeah the only difference between who, does me somebody rein you in or? yeah the only difference between me and andy is i'm six years older than him <laughs> and i think if i think back to six years ago when i was was his age i was exactly like that i think i've probably just calmed down slightly yeah um but you know his energy is infectious and you can't help I can just but. imagine like andy calling you in like some mad crazy idea you add into that idea, like yeah. getting all excited and then going yeah. to, I don't know, your wife. No, that's, no, yeah. that's. I mean, the, the latest one. <laughs> the eye few... rolls so hard you could see it, like you could yeah. feel it. <laughs> I remember a few months a few months back, we were going to build a restaurant that was the design of a sweet shop, but we were going to build it out of sweets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly was, this. That was one of the stupid ideas that both me and him came up with. And we we're like, yeah, yeah, this would be so cool. And then the customers can eat the walls. <laughs> the fuck? But then we're going to be rebuilding them every week, you know. But it was, <laughs> and you know, and then of course we had the artisan street kitchen. That was another crazy brainchild that started in Cornwall. So we went to um, we went to Cornwall. We stayed in um, Gordon Ramsay's beach villa thing over. Yeah, this was near Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in like, we were, I was like, hang on, where did they? Sam live. Yeah, yeah, this is mental. Really cool. So we we got we got invited down there because I, I I I did a lot of work with Gordon when he was doing book signings and stuff like that. So we went down there, stayed there, and we went to Paul Wainsworth number six. And afterwards, like Andy's like, you know what we should do? We should get ourselves a street van because Boris had locked us down for a longer period. He's like, yeah, let's go out and let's do street food. Oh my fucking god, that was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> The, the second day of this Airstream trailer that we had just spent a load of money on, I get a phone call. I was sat in the room over there. I got a phone call. And it's the lads. And they're like, mate, we've, we've got a bit of a problem. I'm like, why? What's happened? The wheels have fallen off the Airstream. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're fucking winding me up. Piss off. Like, just, I just thought they were like taking the piss. But no, the wheels had fallen off. Um, But you know what? Uh, it was a barrel of laughs during a time 
where we needed a bit of laughter. If I it seemed like good fun. You know, when we brought all the guest chefs along, so Attar did something, Gareth Ward, Tom Shepard, Paul Foster, you know, we had a right giggle. Um, and, um, you know, some of those, that, you know, I just think back, you know, it was just a real, real good time. Um, but I think we soon realised that once the restaurant was open, we couldn't do that as well. So now the Artisan Street Kitchen van is with Ben and Sophia at the ball yeah, over the in Boston like, yeah, servicing, you know. They're struggling to power it now as well. Yeah, of course <laughs> they are. There's so problems that we had. Um, so, so what you're saying is it's just uh, time constraints that range you in. It's nobody range you in. It's just time constraints. Yeah, do you know, do you know, do you know what? Um, sometimes you have to question, you know, is this the right idea? Is this the right thing? And what are we going to achieve out of it? Because, you know, me and Andy are seasoned professionals at being busy fools sometimes, getting ourselves involved in things that, quite frankly, we shouldn't. And Joking um, aside, if it spawns something as creative and as brilliant as eight, like, keep going. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, we can throw 10 ideas around and one will be genius and the other nine will be absolutely catastrophic. Um, you know, but what came out of the Artisan Street Kitchen van was the barbecues. Mm. You know, and look how great they've been. I mean, you know, Sundays, you know, at our, you know, banging out lamb legs and, you know, and, and on a barbecue and then Gareth comes and does his barbecue. They've been brilliant. And we've obviously got one on on uh, May the 30th with Stuart Collins off Great British Menu, who yeah, Andy used to work yeah, with. So they both know each other really well. Um, you know, we've got Brad Carter, we've got Alex Bond coming down. Ronnie's as well coming. Yeah, yeah. So Ronnie's Pizza. Greatest Pizza, pizza going. Yeah, Dave from Ronnie's Pizza. That's he's coming to he's doing the Father's Day barbecue with Andy. Oh, nice. Um and then obviously Gareth's back again on the 29th of August. I was gonna say is, you're just gonna get Gareth his own flat up here soon. Well that can be done. I could just give him a pod. I could just Yeah, that's it. That's it. But he's another one of those that you know, he's just a really bloody hard worker, you know. I was like, Gareth, what time did you leave to get here from Wales? Oh, I left at three o'clock in the morning, you know. You know, they just wanted to have a, a gig. They've been closed for bloody yonks as well, you know, in Wales. You know, the Mark Drayford isn't even crazier than Boris. I mean, so yeah. they've been closed for even longer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, we just wanted to have a lot. We just wanted to have fun. And that was really what the barbecues were all about. It's just have fun, like we did on the van. But how do we do that utilising craft? And um, that, I suppose, was what spurred us to the idea to put the outdoor kitchen in. So, yeah, we, we're kind of really happy with it. You came in the big country fire set up the whole That's week. That's it. Yeah. I love them. I'm big, obsessed with them. green I'm eggs. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've seen... Isn't it you and Andy that put them in at the Bulls Head in Barston as well? Yeah, yeah, the we told them to put kitchens. the outdoor kitchen in. I love that idea. I walked in, I was like, Ben, you've got to let me have a day here cooking. I've got to have a practice yeah. on these. Well, what that was, you know, the, the guys at the board obviously, you know, bought this this massive pub and, you know, we had outdoor dining to deal with and everything else. And, you know, they had to refurb the kitchen and then they got planning permission on the bar and there's just so much going on. In the end, we just said like, you know, for such a small investment, you put an outdoor kitchen in there and it will, people will flood this terrace. It's a yeah. nice terrace as well. Yeah, absolutely. Really so, great. I mean, they've got that terrace built in like two and a half weeks. The guys that had been working on craft went over there and started trying to build this terrace and they were still building it literally, I think about an hour before the first customers were coming through the door. 
Um, but, you know, I think it's been well worth it from them. And, you know, obviously what the ball needed was good, good people mm. to run it. And, you know, who better than, you know, the guys that were originally at the Little Blackwood? Who well, you don't, they don't need any introduction, but yeah, they get mentioned every podcast biased, from us. So. <laughs> yeah, they're good friends. And yeah. Ben's just a super talent, isn't he? Yeah, he is, of course he is, man. We can't say otherwise. He's a mate like us. Like yeah. Like. <laughs> no. Well, it's no need to. It's just it's a genius. I think it was, I think Little Blackwood was, was Birmingham's hidden gem. Personally. Oh, I do. I think it was, I was so sad to see it was close. I mean, I was over the moon because where they've moved to is, it's an equal distance to my house. It's yeah. just the other direction. So <laughs> makes no odds to me. But yeah. Birmingham needed Little Blackwood and it, it needs more because you yeah. go to London. There's a little Blackwood on every road. Yeah, yeah, In Birmingham, yeah. that was yeah. the only one. I think there's yeah. one more now, and it's Verbena yeah. in Sturge. It's open, but that's probably it. Little Blackwood had the opportunity to be what the little French is in Bristol, and I don't know if you know about that. But yeah. That place is a bit of a phenomenon. Um, you know, but, you know, unfortunately, you know, certain individuals, namely landlords, you know, yeah. get in the way of that. and Trying to charge. Yeah, you know, and uh, that... You know that's a whole a whole different ball game, isn't it? So you know, unfortunately for that landlord, he's lost his greatest asset, and that no. place now sits empty. But that's his own. Don't we've had our rants oh, about great. that yeah, we? on the podcast. Yeah. So people listening might notice that you haven't got a local Brummie or Midlands accent. No. You said you came before we started recording. You said you came to Birmingham about ten years ago. Yeah. Uh, do you notice a big difference in the food scene 10 years ago and the food scene now in Birmingham? Like, What were your first impressions 10 years ago, if you can remember? Or... I'm trying to think. Well, the first, like, so it was 2010 that I moved. I, I lived in London, you know, all my life. Um, I travelled the world pretty much with work. When I first came to, to Birmingham, I'm just trying to think of the first restaurants. I think the first restaurant in Birmingham I went to was the Sam when Actar was there, and obviously it was with Michael. And I think back, I think now that was circa two thousand and eight. Um, and the Sam was great when he had it. Yeah, it was really good. I went like, a few times when he was there. You know, it was you know it was exceptional. Uh, and I was always a big fan of Pernell's. I'd, I've been to Glynn's lots of times, um, and you know I, I I loved going there. Um, I think it's definitely got more going on now than what it you know once did. There's a lot more on offer now. You know, I think that you know obviously it's got more more starred restaurants now than what it once did. But there's also a few restaurants that don't have a star that are nipping at their heels. There's certainly some that I yeah I'm a stun that they haven't got. Yeah, to be I think this might might be just timing. Yeah, it you could know, be. It, circumstance you know maybe you know there's a bit of you know you know politicalness in there somewhere along the line and you know i just i must i can only think that they just don't want birmingham to have more than say five or six stars um i wouldn't i don't know i think the the the, the nature of michelin is you don't know do you no. um you know i think that you know you know, I think that it would be wrong of any restaurant owner to say that they wouldn't want one. Of course we do. Or, I was going to say, is that the pinnacle for you? Would you reckon a Michelin star for Kraft or eight? Um, you know, I think that we, at eight, we bear no bones about it. We, you know, we want one and we believe that when we get, you know, judged this year, that, you know, we would like to think that we would be in the running for one. But on the flip side of that, 
we also just want to do good food. We just yeah. want to do good food, good experience, exceptional. And and that really is our, our first defining moment, you know, defining cause. We don't don't sit I think that you know, I always think that accolades and awards are byproduct of doing something extremely well. And that's really where it should be first and foremost. Um, you know, if the inspectors come back in this year, obviously they came saw us last year in a very short period that we were open. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not too sure who the inspector was, but you know, we were obviously delighted that they managed to, to get us into the guide in the first instance. Well, that's a good start you know, for anyone. Year. As soon as you get yeah. it straight, especially yeah. since you'd only been open for three weeks. weeks at that <laughs> yeah. Point, yeah. yeah. So you know, naturally, we were, you know, we were delighted to be included, but. Have we raised the game this time round upon reopening? Well, you came for dinner. You, um, I came Wednesday. Thank you very much. Yeah. That was great. Thanks for the invite. And it was stunning. It has gone off. You think so? Yeah, I, I do think so. Good. Yeah, good. 100%. I think of the places in Birmingham, I think there's a, many places that deserve a Michelin star that already have them. So yeah. we've got five. Is it five or six? Mm, five. Five. We could easily have another five. You could easily add another five to that. Yeah. Easily. And eight would certainly be one of them. Yeah. So we, you know, for us, um, if they come back out and they believe that it's, you know, better, then great. You know, that, uh, we don't we don't necessarily put, you know, huge amounts of pressure on ourselves, you know, in order to get there. But um, will we do everything we can in to ensure that that experience is exceptional and like no other in this city, or even in this country? Yeah, we will. We will. We will do things that are different. Um, because you know we want to do things that are exciting and bring something from a new dimension to well, it. There's certainly nowhere in Britain I've eaten that's like eight. Yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's very different and it's very yeah. immersive experience. Yeah, there's not many where you follow follow a comic book as a menu and yeah, you know, and and, and watch a watch a movie alongside your food. It's it's uh, it's definitely got. Um, you know, I think it's one of those places that could be quite daunting for some people. You know, yeah. Well, you've got the head chef. In front, in front of you of coming up do you like that how often does that happen on yeah. every course what do you think of that yeah yeah you don't want to say that it's rubbish do you <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know equally i think you know i i had the pleasure of doing the test run as a guest um on the friday and you know i believe it's gone up you know a significant amount in in notches and yeah i'd agree definitely you know, and, and i have the pleasure of working in there um, you know, myself, I go in typically when the covers go over a certain level, you know, to help out. I'm not too sure how helpful I really am. <laughs> I think maybe I'm good at getting guests to their chairs and stuff like that, but I probably add absolutely zero to the cooking. That's what owners are for, getting the guests to the chair. That's a warm it. welcome, that's about it. Yeah, that's it. So, um, yeah, so I, I really enjoy that part. I really, I do, I do enjoy going in and joining them, so... It's, uh, it's nice. I think it's good. So you get to kind of be in around it. Like it's worse if you were just never seen, like in an office somewhere. Sat in the ivory tower, as they say. Yeah, sat in yeah. The it's, nice the owner then. it's nice to have the sh- not just the chef in the building. Yeah, stood in front of you cooking yeah. the food. Well, of course, you know, Andy's not just a chef. He's 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 not a business partner. Yeah, you know, he, he he owns as much of that place as I do, and you know, and he's an owner at, at craft as well. And and that's the way. I believe it should be. Um, there's absolutely zero point in me sitting there trying to make out that I can certainly make it happen. I think I can, you know, I've proved that I can't do it on my own. Um, so, you know, I think 
um, you know, having him, you know, there with me and, you know, Jake, who does a, a marvellous job of the... Uh, oh, the drinks the genius. Drinks. Yeah. Absolute genius. You know, and, and the rest of the team, Sam and, and Curtis, it's a, it's a real cool place to, you know, go and spend a couple of hours as a guest, but it's a really cool place to go and work as well. I really enjoy it. Mm. So... Um, it's yeah. exciting and it's the turnaround's been brilliant and you've got a really cool story and I just, I can see good things happening. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, we've, we're going to continue to work hard at it and we hope that... Uh, you know, it goes from strength to strength, but we also hope that the city rebounds from this. I think we could really do with the corporate trade back in the city and showing and support. And you know, the guys at places like PwC—they've been to the restaurant a number of times, trying to, you know, trying to lend you know a bit of you know further support to the hospitality sector. But you know, we need we need the city back. Yeah, in the, the corporate Birmingham's quite lucky in the sense that in the centre you've got the NIA and you've got the ICC you've got people coming into the city still yep. it's not just a corporate city there's other reasons to come into the centre there is yeah so we are quite lucky with that side of Birmingham I mean the yeah. ICC there's something there every night yeah absolutely I mean we um, unlike London where you know 76% of London's hospitality trade is built off the back of either corporate or overseas travel um, you know in Birmingham that's significantly lower I think it's about half that so um, you know, it, it it still will have a, you know, it's still it's still going to have a dramatic effect. And you know, you think the NIA is not reopened yet? Um, that's not had any real major events. <coughs> Symphony Hall's not, mm. and the ICC are only really going up to a thousand people, whereas normally they can go up to, you know, twenty or thirty thousand. Yeah. Um, we've got the Commonwealth Games to look forward to. Um, we're already seeing people book for that. Really? Yeah, yeah. We've wow. seen we've had inquiries coming through. You know, you sit there scratching your head, thinking, you know, God, they're planning ahead. But you know, that's um, that's great for us. It builds confidence. Confidence in a business for a business owner allows them to invest more or gives them encouragement to do so. And that can only be a good thing for, you know, people that are coming to dine at the restaurant or you know people from the city. That's only a good thing. Definitely. So we've taken a good chunk of your time and we really right. appreciate that. Uh, before we, Carl gets into his little questions that he loves to ask. Yeah. <laughs> was there anything you wanted to plug or any shout out or anything, anything you wanted you want to, to talk about? I mean, this will be out in what? Speak now, forever. Weeks. Hold your peace. I think, I think I got three weeks today this comes I out. I got most so. of the plugs out there, obviously, you know, uh, you know, planet, planet eight opening planet eight, which is also after eight. Um, opening is going to be really interesting i think that sounds fascinating you know the first i think it's going to be definitely the first of the city might even be the first in the uk to be doing um essentially dessert tasting menus it's during the day as well isn't it yeah so it's a lunchtime one one lunchtime sitting for eight people um exclusively um executed by andy you know jake and sam and curtis um but it's a hundred percent dessert led so it's essentially a dessert tasting menu another one of those um, you know crazy out there ideas that uh, seems to be well received at the moment and then the same venue um, then becomes after eight and that's at 10 o'clock so when all the guests are finished in eight which is circa around 10 o'clock they go to what we call after eight which is the after eight after party um, for you know more drinks and uh, and a good time really what we're trying to do is kind of stem the the stigma of what we would classify as fine dining um you know it 
it's got to be fun it's got to be interesting it's got to be dynamic it's got to be different uh, and and that's where that's come from obviously can't wait for the outdoor you know barbecue to kick off with you know outdoor dining um around the fire i think that's going to be really cool for anyone that's done suppose with that you can continually have guest chefs turn up to it as well i suppose yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely you know uh, and those sundays will continue to be used for that so that's brilliant um you know apart from that we're going to continue doing what we're doing you know and do it well we're going to continue to champion you know english and or british produce you know and yes people might frown at me for only doing english and welsh wine quite frankly i don't give a shit <laughs> i will continue to do english and welsh wine and if people don't like it they can go and buy french wine from sainsbury's well there's absolute cracking ones there's no yeah, excuse yeah, yeah. at the moment yeah. to not get english yeah. or welsh because i'm really not interested in people that tell me that that wine's crap because it's definitely not there's 526 vineyards we produce in excess of 100 million bottles of wine and you know we will continue to champion it and um i challenge anyone in a blind test to work out that english sparkling wine isn't as good as champagne because it fools many people now several of my favorite wines at the moment they're english yeah. and they're fantastic yeah. so we'll continue to do that um so what questions you got for me then these are just simple questions. I say simple. We asked them the other day and someone said they're not simple. They're okay. about you and they're just little things so people get to know you better. Yep. So you'll get a feel for what they are from the first one. What's your favourite movie? Favourite movie? Um, Remember the Titans by Denzel Washington. That's a good I'm one. Obsessed with that movie. What's your favourite band? Oh, now that, what, current? Uh, no, whatever. Do you know what? Favourite band? I mean, I, I'll, I'll narrow that down to favourite band live. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So, um, without a doubt, Coldplay Live are epic. But, a bit of a guilty pleasure, I really like Queen and Adam Lambert. Queen with Adam Lambert. With Adam Lambert, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, he obviously has taken over from Freddie Mercury's role. And watching them live is really, really, it's exceptional. Really, yeah, it's brilliant. Imagine one of them, everyone knows yeah. the words, so everything. Yeah. So yeah. it's just but, a big karaoke night. But Coldplay, you know, I think back to Wembley. They did five nights at Wembley. When I was group chief exec at HCO, we had a box at Wembley, 20-seater box. I went to every single night, five nights on the trot with clients. And I absolutely, oh, I just thought it was epic. So, yeah, Coldplay. Nice. Um, what's your favourite spirit? I don't drink. All oh, right. <laughs> Screwed. Yeah, I don't drink. Although I have had a tendency to drink copious amounts of vodka and Red Bull in Marbella. Right. Um, so, yeah, I suppose vodka and Red Bull. What's your favourite soft drink then? Soft drink. Coke Zero. Coke uh, Zero is Drinking it now. <laughs> really bad for yourself. That's my, you know, I don't smoke and I don't really drink, but I drink shit loads of Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Yeah. What's your favourite big fast food chain? big fast food chain probably five guys um if you're getting takeaway what is it ah uh, i mean i've started to scrap takeaways now because you know i keep getting Aktar islam boxes sent to me <laughs> so there's no point in order you able to get them because they're always sold out when i try yeah, to get i think i've got one. this vip black card thing where <laughs> i can skip the queue no no, I, I, I'll be honest with you, that's better than any takeaway uh, from an Indian by far, by a million miles. 
But takeaway wise, I'll eat anything from pizza to Chinese. I've got, I, I do love kebabs. I bloody well love yeah, them. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I ordered a load of kebabs to the restaurant the other day when we were closed, of course. But me and Andy and the lads were in and we ordered a load of kebabs from Hookways. Have you ever had? I've heard of them. Yeah, I haven't yeah, had it yeah, personally, good, but I've heard they're, they're great. really good. So Hookways kebabs are good. Um, other than Birmingham, what's your best food destination in the world? Do you know what? You're hard pushed to look past London. And I know I would say that being a Londoner. But the, best the first ci- person that said London. Yeah. The best city in the world for me is Singapore. I, I, you know, I last went to Singapore in 2018 for the Formula One. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't find a bad meal. No. Literally everything from, you know, freestyle establishments to, you know, street food. You know, it it was just epic. So, Singapore for me is outside of the UK. But, you know, I being from London, I know where to eat and where not to eat. Yeah. You know, I've grown up in that city and I've boshed around that city pretty much all my life. So, you know, as a result, there's places in London that no one else would have ever considered going. Then there's places that everyone, you know, knows. I think the best restaurant in the United Kingdom by a mile is Core. I was just about to say, I know you've been to Core, and that's yeah. top, right at the t- that in, in the show, they're right at the top of my list. 100%, you know, just knocks the socks off of anyone. And I went there with Andy and Attar, and a load of us went there to the chef's table, and, you know, the, the meal that Claire put on for us. Are you with people that really know food as well? Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> and literally, we could not find an inch wrong with that restaurant. In fact... We couldn't even find a restaurant that would come anywhere near close to it. Yeah. Um, and for three Michelin stars, it's very reasonably priced as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, and, and it's really interesting because she's not changed her price even when she no, was. No, I had a quick look when I said yeah, the day after. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I bet it's gone up. Yeah. And it hadn't gone but up. It hadn't. And, no. and I admire that, you know, um, you know about her. I think she's a force to be reckoned with. Um, and, um, you know, quite potentially is one of the best chefs in the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's my question. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, Sam. No problem. Thank you.